You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the Northern Lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and you're listening to Mushing Radio here on KVRF 89.7 in the Matsu Valley. RadioFreePalmer.org is our live streaming site. And you can find all of our episodes over on firstpaw.media. And tonight I am joined by longtime Iditarod musher Matt Failer. He is calling in pretty much in our backyard. We are on the same trail system up here in Willow. He is Matt Failer. How's it going, Matt? What's happening in your neck of the woods? Little rainy over here. How you doing, Robert? Good to hear from you. I am doing well. It is definitely summertime here in Alaska. The mosquitoes are out and it is raining, but I think it's going to be a nice one. What do you think? Yeah, so far so good. It has been a cold start, which is fine for, you know, dog mushers. And yes, the mosquitoes are, um, they're loving the tourists that come here because it's like fresh new blood for them. So they're pretty big right now. <laughs> for sure. So Matt, I caught you at a very interesting time in your life. You are awaiting the birth of your first child. I know that that's going to happen anytime now. It may even happen before we drop this episode. Are you on pins and needles or what? Um, I would, I wouldn't say pins and needles. I think we're just on the edge of our seat, you know, for, you know, in excitement. Um, it's actually kind of strange to hear you say that out loud because it's, it hasn't really sunk in yet, but I know it's sunk in for my wife, Liz, because she's obviously carrying the child, but for the guy in the relationship, it's not really going to sink in until I'm holding him. So, but yes, we are currently 40 weeks and three or four days now. So we're a few days overdue, which is fine for first-time moms, I've been told. And so, yeah, any any day now. Excellent. And do you guys have a name picked out? We don't have any names picked out. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've got it whittled down to about, you know, three or four. Um, but we would like to meet him first and hold him in our arms and make sure that that name fits him well, you know. So um, some some family names and then a couple that we think are special, so it'll be a big surprise for everybody. Very cool. So Matt, I know we sort of just jumped into this with both feet, but can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you're all about, please? Certainly. Yeah. Um, so we're all about, all about dogs and specifically the Alaskan Husky. I mean, I grew up with Labradors in my life uh, as pet dogs and we would take them hunting and fishing. But, um, when I got into my adult life, uh, after college, I stumbled upon Martin Boozer's kennel and um, introduced me to the Alaskan Husky. And then 
Um, my wife and I started Alaskan Husky Adventures out here in Willow, um, gu guiding tourists and um, educating people that come to the state about the breed and the culture and dog mushing and more specifically from an Iditarod perspective or a mid to long distance race perspective. So we're all about the dogs. We love, we, we've, we've been able to build a life around them. So we work with them every day and race with them in the winter and guide tours in the summer and the winter. So pretty much every day we're working, playing or running dog with dogs. So Matt, let's step back a little bit. You said you got involved with Martin's Kennel several years ago. I remember that uh, on our Iditarod coverage, we were talking about uh, you guys in, in those first years. What year was that that you, you hooked up with Martin? So that would have been 2010, 11, and 12, and a little bit of 2013, but I kind of started branching off. So 2010, I was there, and Magnus... Magnus um, Caltonborn was there as the primary musher. He did I did a rod, and then then it was myself and James Volick. James Volick did I did a rod, and then yeah, those were my two to three years there. And before that, I was with Matt Hayashida, who also was a Martin Boozer product. He ran I did a rod for maybe seven or eight years. And um, before that, I was working with a girl named a gal named Abby West, who was a Yukon Quest musher. Um, but yeah, Martin was Martin and Matt Hayashida were the two that kind of really got me going down the path. And then Martin, of course, was is our our mentor and one of our best friends. And how did you come up to Alaska? Was it to to work uh, with one of the tour companies or something like that, or did you just get that wild hair and chase this adventure up here like a lot of us did? I, I, I kind of stumbled into it. I, um, was a college student back home in Ohio and, um, one of my friends worked in the tourism industry in Skagway working with sled dogs. And he came home from that summer job back to Ohio and we hung out and he told me how much fun he had and how amazing of a job it was and how beautiful Alaska was and how amazing the Alaskan Husky was. And so I was intrigued cause I'm a dog guy and an outdoorsman. And so that next summer I applied with the same company and got hired on as a handler. And I didn't know anything about Alaska or dog mushing. So that was in 2005, 2006. Um, and then, you know, that, that was basically the introduction there. So before we talk about your racing career, I did a rod and all of that. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the company that you operate now, Alaskan Husky Adventurers adventures, excuse me, and how it compares and contrasts from what you did way back in the day. Obviously, I'm sure there's a lot of crossover there, but what did you learn from, you know, being sort of the fresh, you know, behind, wet behind the ears, if you will, college kid coming up to Alaska to now doing this as, as a business, as, as your livelihood? Yeah. Um, well, so much has changed. I mean, obviously my, I mean, I, I was a eager college kid. I'm still eager now, but I just didn't know anything about dog mushing. I didn't know about the culture of, of Iditarod or Alaska in general and any of the native communities that relied on dog mushing in years prior. And I didn't know anything about that. I just really, my world with dog mushing back then was in Juneau and the four mushers that would drive their cars to the ferry and get on the ferry and go to Juneau. So um, it was Matt Hayashida, Abby West, 
and a couple teams from like Wyoming or Montana. And so that was really my introduction. I didn't know anybody else. Um, there were a bunch of other mushers like Sebastian Schnule, Hugh Neff, um, Linwood Fiedler, all these other mushers that had different companies in Juno, but I didn't know any of them. And now I know them really well because I've been racing with them. But it was just more or less like, okay, so I was coming from Ohio State and we would go to basketball games and football games and look at these players and we'd say, man, these players are so athletic. They're so strong. And then when we got, when I got to Alaska, Matt Hayashida and Abby West and all these mushers were talking about their dogs like I talked about the Ohio State football team. Right. And it kind of blew, it kind of blew me away. They were saying, man, look at, look at how tough these dogs are look at how strong their feet are how big their lungs are and it's like you guys they're just dogs they're you know and and obviously i was wrong because they're not just dogs they are so much more than that they're athletes and they're lovable pet dogs at the same time so um yeah that was my introduction and then what we're doing now is it's it's definitely tourism but my wife and i we operate a very small scale um tour out of our home so these these tourists, when they come up to Alaska, they actually come to our property and they're right here in our dog yard. So in Juneau, we would take the dogs down to Juneau and it would be a summertime home. But up here, we're running our tour out of our property. So they drive up our driveway. Um, they get a little introduction and I'll tell them about the Iditarod. We've got some uh, a movie playing, you know, a map, oh, the trophy room and pictures and things. And so it's really an educational 15 minute component there in the beginning. They have question and answers. I can tell them all about the Cusco 300, the Kinnick 200, the Iditarod. Then we walk through the dog yard. They get to meet all the dogs if they'd like, teach them why the dogs live outside, why the dogs are on tethers versus pens or vice versa. And then they get the ride. We've got these amazing carts. Um, they only see two people. It's 100% dog power, so no ATV. Um, and then we turn the dogs loose. And I think this is where our tour maybe, and I'm not knocking anyone else, but we are set up here where we don't have any neighbors and we're not next to the highway. So we turn the dogs loose and the tourists get to go walking with the, the, the Alaskan Huskies running around them and they're jumping up on them and... We go back to a, a pavilion that we built. We've got a beautiful view of Denali on a clear day. And um, yeah, it's really, a you know, kind of, so ba basically down in Juneau, they were set up with the cruise ship passengers and you had to be on time. Everything had to run very efficiently. And up here, these guys drive themselves. So if we're running 20 minutes over, that's okay. We, we don't want to push people out. It's more laid back and they want to pet more dogs they can. So it's a, it's a really nice introduction to dog mushing. Speaking of that tour business, Matt, as you know, our, our neighbor here on the on the trail system, Vern Halter, can have tour buses just sort of roll up here in the driveway in the summer. And that's sort of how he does his tours. You know, lots of people, you know, he has the big side-by-side um, -side that he takes around the trails and whatnot. But it sounds like to me, you're on a much more intimate scale. As you said, folks just sort of just find you guys out on, on the web or whatever, get directions on the GPS, and they just show up in the rental car. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, we we only have, so it's my wife and I, and of course Liz is, she, she was guiding for us the last two years, but now that she's, you know, carrying our child, she hasn't been mushing the dogs as much. Um, so it's, 
it's usually Casey Murringer, who's our lead guide. She finished the Iditarod uh, 2020. And then Jaron Ulrich, he came up from Wisconsin. He's our greenhorn. And then myself and Liz. So there's four of us. And one person starts the tour. And the other three then operate the carts for a total of six passengers. And so really just families of, of six or um, groups of two here and there. And it is a real intimate um, private experience. And there's not a lot of people. Um, it is definitely kind of a quiet, secluded, and they can ask questions, come and go as they will, you know. And um, so, again, just a different style. We, we're not in with any of the big bus companies, although we have had big buses come up the driveway and we've been able to accommodate them. But we're more into the the everyday traveler that is just renting the car and they they see our blue sign on the highway and they call and make an appointment. So we just kind of roll like that. So. I'm sure a lot of people that are listening are very familiar with the the tourism side of dog mushing, especially the cruise package passengers. That's where a lot of folks get their uh, their baptism, if you will, to dog mushing is doing it on some type of cruise excursion. But there is method to the madness, as I'm sure you will agree, Matt, is you use this not only to prepare your dogs for for the eventual race season, but I'm sure you're preparing yourself as well, just being out there working with the dogs and, uh, you know, interacting with them on a daily basis that really helps with that bond. How do you sort of parlay that, uh, you know, that that daily uh grind if you will of of being a tour operator and then in the winter uh you're you're doing it on the race trail how do you do both if you will kind of be a a tour kennel and a very competitive race kennel at the same time well i mean i guess we have first and foremost we have a lot of people that help us um it's definitely all hands on deck i mean once you know my wife was um an anchor for channel 11 here in Anchorage. And when the pandemic happened, their business merged with channel two. And so she lost her job. And so all of a sudden she found herself without a job and we said, Hey, let's try to start this business. And now she's a dog musher. She's um, building the website. She's scooping poop. She's cooking dinner. She's doing all these things, but she's now a full-time dog musher helping us run this business. Um, so her and I started the business together. So her and I, and then our two helpers, we lean on them every day. They help us train the dogs, scoop the poop. We're all out there together. Um, and you know, as far as trying to make it work, I guess there's many different ways you can make it work with balancing tours and racing, but early on, all the dogs will run in tours. And then as we slowly make it into January and February, we're getting, you know, there's a, there's a natural divide and usually it has to do with age, but that's not always the determining factor. Um, maybe some of the older dogs, such as the nine and 10 year olds would migrate towards the tour tour side and the one and two year olds might also be on the tour side. And so you have those dogs in the sweet spot where they're three to eight, they're on the race team, but everybody knows who LeBron James is. You know, he skipped college and went straight to the pros. And so every once in a while, the one and two-year-olds, they might not need as much education. They can make the race team. But I guess if, if, if there was a perfect world and I had an unlimited amount of resources and financial aid, then we would be fielding two teams in the Iditarod every, every year. And we would have a rookie team or a JV team and a varsity team. But I've been only able to do that 
four times. We fielded Casey Murringer in the Iditarod, Michael Baker twice in the Iditarod, and Tim Pappas in the Yukon Quest. And so those years, we had two teams in those 1,000-mile races. And it just takes a toll on everything. The truck, obviously, you need a, a lot of dogs. You need twice as many. You need another sled. You need all this stuff, fuel, handlers. So it's just – and now it's different, you know. It's just things are more expensive, and it's just – it's it's harder to field two teams. So just well, juggle it all and see, try to make the best of it. Well, that's very impressive that you guys are able to do that, even just the few times that you have. I mean, like you said, if you can if you can field two teams and both of them are able to compete, I think that that's a, a, a very nice thing to be able to do for your kennel. So as we transition into uh, talking a little bit about racing, I'm going to end with one question in regard to the tours. Is your operation a a year round deal, or is it a, like a lot of other folks where you're just doing it in the summer and then you know when the snow flies, it's it's all about uh, training for racing? Um, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. It is it is um, totally year round. Um, so we will do it in the summer, in the spring, in in the fall, and the and the winter. So as long as there is Basically, there's about a couple weeks when we get, you know, fall and it's kind of icy. You might not be able to take the the carts out because it's a little too slick. And then there's a couple weeks in May when it's too muddy. So during the shoulder season, we we are not uh, giving rides, but we're still open for kennel tours where we can at least let people pet the dogs and meet the dogs and, and educate them. But otherwise, yeah, 300 days of the year we're open. I like it. So let's talk a little bit about Iditarod first. I know that you're very competitive in other races, but most people that are listening are very familiar with Iditarod. You had mentioned that you got started in, I believe you said around 2005 or so and hooked up with Martin. I think you said in about 2010 or so. When was your first uh, Iditarod running? Yep. All that was accurate. And so first Iditarod was 2012. 2012. Was that the 40th I did a rod? Something like that. Man, that's what, 11 years ago. That seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? I know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I'm an old, I'm an old guy now. <laughs> Very good. So, so 2012 here to 2023. So 11 I did a rods later. How many times have you run it in that uh, decade plus? So, well, it's actually 12 now and all 12. So 2012 to 23. 23 so it's been 12 in a row 12 in a row so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, this year's Iditarod in a second but I know that you uh, often compete in other races around Alaska before Iditarod or talk about Iditarod do you have a favorite race other than uh, the one that everybody knows about well we 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 love the Kuskokwim 300 which is in Bethel and takes place in January Bethel on the on the west coast of Alaska I've got really good friends that live up and down the Cusco River in Pete Kaiser and Richie Deal, um, and we've we've created a, just a really good network of friends out there. And so um, that is one of our favorite races. I proposed to my wife at the end of that race, you know, three years ago, uh, four years ago, and um, the Kinnick 200 is a is a great race. You know, it's coming back pretty strong now that Ray Reddington has kind of taken the helm. Um, it was a few years off, but now they've really got everything going. And, uh, Brent Sask, you know, I did rod champion competed in that race. 
Um, so the Kinnick 200 looks real strong now, and the Cusco is strong as ever. And I'd love to do the Willow 300, but it always is right around the Cusco 300. And um, so we can't just pull away from the Cusco for that one. So let's talk about this year's Iditarod. I'm looking here at the standings, eighth place uh, this year, and it looks like uh, if my glasses are holding up, nine days, nine hours, 20 minutes. Does that sound right? That sounds about right. So how did the race go for you this year? Of course, every year you can have ebbs and flows with weather and, and all sorts of things. How did it, how did your finish go? Does it, was it, uh, was it acceptable to you? Obviously, you would love to be up there at the top, but it, you know you can't sneeze at a top ten finish for sure. Yeah, it was. Um, well, it was our first first and only top ten finish in the Iditarod. We've had good, um, you know, swings at it and tried to get in the top ten before, but for whatever reason, we got in the top twenty. Um, but this year, I thought it. I thought it might be my last. I did a rod, you know, and I really wanted to stick to a schedule as obviously with the birth of our son, um, we, we don't know what life is going to look like. Um, so we'll have to kind of maybe take it a year at a time. Um, whereas I used to just say, I'm signing up for the Iditarod no matter what. Um, so priorities may be shifting because uh, the two legged dog is more important than the four legged dog. Sorry to say that to some of your listeners, but, um, our son is going to be front and center. So, um, I did a rod this year was really, was really good. It was, um, I set to, a, I, I stuck to a schedule and I didn't make any excuses. The previous 11, I would make an excuse and the excuse would be this dog needs two more hours of rest and I would give it to him. And that means that I go down the trail with one more dog and, but that means that 10 or 15 teams pass me. And so now you're in 30th place and you're fighting for the top 30 or the top 20. And this year I said, we're sticking to a top 10 pace. And if each dog cannot um, do that pace, then they're going to be sent home. And so I found myself removing a lot of dogs from the team in order to stick with the, the front runners. And so we finished with six, which is the lowest I've ever finished with. Um, but when you look back at it, you know, you only have six or eight or 10 dogs that maybe can do that top 10 pace and the other six or eight that make the team out of your, you know, top 16, maybe they're not top 10 dogs, maybe they're top 20 dogs. And so you have to make a decision whether you're going to stick with the top 20 and give the other dogs the rest they need or drop them and go, you know, so this year I, I didn't give anybody any extra rest. I said, if they can't do it, they're going to be sent home and. And that's, that's what you get, you know, a classic example for anybody listening. I had a dog named Ben's. He was solid, pulling hard, wonderful dog. And in Eagle Island, he had like a tiny piece of straw in, in his, um, cuticle, like right at the base of his pinky toe. And the veterinarian said, we can give him antibiotics and we can get that swelling down. He was like 99% bonkers and crazy but they said he's going to need about eight to ten hours to get that swelling down and then you could probably take him now the matt failure of last year two years ago i would have i would have stayed in eagle eagle island for eight or ten hours and and then he would have kept going with me but this year i stayed there for like four hours and 20 minutes and i dropped him and kept going and so that's the difference between top 10 and top 20 is sometimes the dogs need the rest and some some of them don't 
And that, folks, as you just said, Matt, that is the uh, the mind of a competitive musher when you, you sort of just have that plan and, and you realize that, hey, this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to do our absolute best to get uh, the best possible finish that, that you can for sure. Matt, you alluded to it just a little bit. You said that... Uh, Things are kind of up in the air right now, obviously, with the with the new one coming any day now, literally. Uh, are you planning on running Iditarod in 2024? Um, yeah, it is kind of up in the air every day. My wife and I look at each other and say, should we just sign up or maybe we wait, you know, and um, I, I think deep down we're going to. But um, like I said, it's. It, it's not just about me anymore. It's not, it's not just about the dogs. It's about teaching our, our kid, you know, um, obviously, a, a ha- showing him a, a wonderful lifestyle and he comes first. So um, we'll be able to juggle all of this, but we're just going to make sure that we don't get in too deep and um, uh, stretch ourselves too thin. But I think that if there were 80 mushers going to sign up on, on the first day, we might, sign up on that first day to get in the first pool but I, I anticipate you know 20 mushers to sign up on the first day and so it'll be okay if we end up signing up in november and we're the 25th or 30th musher so it's not not really the you know it's not really incentivizing me too much although there is the free entry fee that is it's, it's nice to try to get your entry fee back for sure. So we are recording this on June 20th, and I'm looking at Iditarod.com right now, and it says 255 days and 15 hours before the start of the race. So it sounds like to me you got plenty of time to make up your decision right. with, with all of those days between then and now. Of course, you have to sign up. I guess it's November 30th or something like that for, for uh, the last entry before that late fee. But you definitely have quite a bit of time before you have to do that. So Matt, let's shift gears just a little bit. I love asking you guys about your dogs and I've sort of made it a habit to ask you guys to tell us a quick story about one of your favorites. Uh, it could be, you know, that, uh, that diehard leader. It could just be, you know, one that in the team that really shines. Who would you like to tell a quick story about? Oh, um, geez, let's see here. Well, uh, during I did a rod, we had we had a lot of dogs stand out, um, and I I told a little story at the finish line um, about a dog named Led Zeppelin, who he's eight years old and he's probably finished the last four or five I did rods in a row, and he just seems to be getting better with age. I never, I I've never led the dog Led Zeppelin during a race. I occasionally, and I mean like a rare occasion, will put him in lead. Um, but he's more playful, kind of distracted. So he usually finds himself in wheel or above wheel. Um, but leaving Elam, I just, I don't know, sometimes like coaches intuition or you just kind of want to give a dog a chance, you know, you or they, they're, maybe they're the first one up from after you're putting the booties on or they're the, they're showing more interest. And so I just said, you know, you're going to, we're going to put them in lead and see what happens. And, by golly, he looked like a lead dog, like that had been leading his whole life. And um, he led down out of Elam, down onto the sea ice. There's a few miles of mushing on the sea ice. And um, then you go up uh, Little McKinley, which there's nothing little about it. It's a big mountain. And he led up that thing and never looked back. And I'm, I was like thinking to myself, man, are you an idiot? Why weren't you leading him last year and the year before that? But, um, 
every year you just don't know who's going to stand up and step up. Um, and you know, in sports or other places, they'll say next, next man up, next woman up. You know, if, if somebody comes down with an injury, someone's got to take their place and Led Zeppelin really stood up and he did really well. So it was pretty cool to see him get to the finish line again. Um, and it's just another reason why you shouldn't neuter a dog early on because <laughs> he's probably one we want to breed, but we can't. I like it. So Led Zeppelin, uh, how old is he? Or uh, yeah, a male, right? Yep. A male, eight year old neutered male. He's out of Pete Kaiser's famous dog named Palmer. Palmer won four, you, uh, four Cuscoquims in a row. He's several time top 10. I did a rod dog and he sired Pete Kaiser's winning 2019 Iditarod team. So Palmer is the cornerstone of Kaiser's kennel. And I think I'm, I'm almost like 99% sure about all that I just said is Pete's listening. And then we crossed Pete, Pete's Palmer up with um, a dog named Cool Cat. And Cool Cat's the matriarch, matriarch of our kennel. And she is from John Baker's lines. And her mom and dad won the I Did Rod in 2011 on John Baker's team, which is the fastest, slowest dog team in the history of the I Did Rod, pretty much. So, you know, they set the record in 2011. So guys that are listening very closely, if you remember uh, quite a bit back in the episode where Matt was saying that uh, guys were sitting around talking about... Uh, uh, dogs like they talk about sports figures in Ohio sports. You're doing exactly that right now, aren't you, Matt? You're talking about uh, these little intricacies that uh, only mushers know about. Isn't that right? This is very true. I, I do not cry anymore when Ohio State loses a football game. I, I have moved on to dogs. <laughs> very I'll good. cry over the dog mushing now. Very good. So one other question about your dogs. You said his name was Led Zeppelin. I love it. I'm a huge music fan. How do you guys come up with your names? Do you do like a lot of us do and come up with themes like uh, music themes or food themes or something like that? Yes, sir. Yep. We stick to the themes. Um, and, you know, we want to keep it, we want to keep it fun and playful, uh, nothing too serious. And, um, we keep it kind of PG because we do get a lot of children that, you know, will come to the kennel and, you know, instead of naming the dog Anthrax or Slayer or Megadeth, we chose Led Zeppelin. We thought it was a little more PG. <laughs> right. Um, and, uh, I mean, we've had a Tango, Romeo, a Whiskey, the phonetic alphabet. I mean, uh, yeah, it's just kind of the, our latest litter. Here's, here's, um, Actually, these are Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and got made in Iron Maiden. So those guys are the, the rock and roll litter. We repeated that breeding with Cool Cat to Palmer, and that produced our cash litter, we're calling them. So it's slang terms for cash. So we have Smackers, Hundo, Moolah, Skrilla, Loot, Grand, um, Cha-Ching. That's one of my favorite names is Cha-Ching. And so those guys are exactly the same um pedigree but um they are already a little different they all lead whereas pink floyd and led zeppelin they didn't really like to lead until later in life and so it, it'll be fun to see the money litter go down the trail in a couple of years or maybe next year on i did rob i like it and for folks that are our listeners you probably heard our interview with brent sass a couple of weeks ago and we were asking this same question and he said matt that uh, one of his top litters right now 
is named after the Orange is the New Black uh, TV show back in the day, the the prison show. Do you remember? I, I've heard I've heard of it, but I can honestly say I've never seen an episode of it. <laughs> so everybody has very unique name ways to name their dogs, and I, I love to hear about uh, how that comes about. So Matt, before we run out of time, I always ask my guests the same question, and I'm very interested to hear what you have to say. Uh, you've been involved with the sport now for for quite a while, uh, running your first Iditarod in 2012, so well over a decade and I did a rod alone, and that is, if you could see the sport in the next five or 10 years, where do you see it? Where is it uh, really thriving? Where is it struggling? What's the sport gonna look like here as we move into uh, you know, the next decade or so? I guess I gotta ask a question. Do you mean I did a rod or, or dog mushing itself? E- either one, either I did a rod or dog mushing. I think you could really pay, play both sides of the coin if you like. Okay. Well, I think, I think we're going to be just fine. I think it's, it's, um, things ebb and flow, just like the pendulum always moves left to right and then right to left. And, you know, things will, no matter what, um, just kind of move on down the trail. So to, so to speak, I know I'm kind of searching for certain words, but I think dog mushing is going to be just fine. The Iditarod is going to be trending upward. Um, uh, they are already showing signs of raising the purse, which will incentivize more mushers. They're already talking about getting it back to 16 dogs, which will keep the traditionalists of Iditarod happy, like myself. I, I think we need to stay at 16. Um, and if we just slowly kind of keep keep promoting the sport and um, keep showing wonderful tourists the amazing sport of dog mushing, it'll be just fine. No matter what, even without tourism, dog mushing will be just fine. It's too it's too thick in in the history of of Alaskans to to die off to the snow machine. Um, and the uh, the shorter races are going to be awesome. They're they're easier to do. They're less training, less money, less finances, and all that. So. I think in five years you'll see the Iditarod backed up back up to between 40 to 50 mushers, maybe even a little over 50 mushers, um, and there'll there'll be a new crop coming up, you know. So could be cool. Maybe in 18 years our our son will be doing it. So who knows? There you go. I love the perspective, Matt. Thank you very much. Is there anything we missed? Anything? Oh, actually, I always ask: Is there anyone you want to thank? Whether it be sponsors, friends, family, any of that? Oh, I'd love to thank. Um, everybody associated with our kennel. Of course, I'll give a shout out to my wife, Liz, who hopefully is not having contractions right now. I better run off the phone here pretty soon. But um, Liz is the is you know the cornerstone to our kennel here. She does everything. Um, our our seventeenth dog boosters. They're the next people to thank. Um, we have a lot of lot of supporters that believe in our team and the way we do things. And so we'd like to thank seventeenth dog um boosters and um, we've got a few sponsors if you if you have a diesel truck and it's a ford go see shad at um power stroke performance down in wasilla he'll take care of your truck um casey murringer uh jaron ulrich and dane baker they're our trusty guides out here um just so many people my family my mom and dad and so i could go on and on and on but much love to everybody and thanks for your support and where are you most active on social? I know uh, you and I are friends on Instagram and uh, Facebook. Where are you most active? I would say, yeah, those are the two. Um, Facebook, it's kind of my generation. Um, 
And so Facebook and Instagram and um, we might we might venture off and we've got a lot of tourists tell us that I need to get, you know, TikTok or all these other things. But at some point, I, I got to stay off social media because you can just be on the phone too long. But um, Instagram, Facebook and our website, akhusky.dog. So it's not dot com, akhusky.dog. All right. And we'll put those links for sure in on, on the show notes. And that way, uh, folks can find them real easy. Matt, thank you very much for joining us tonight here on Mushing Radio. I look forward to following you on the trail and hopefully running into you a time or two out here on the home trails. I have to say we have some of the best trails in Alaska. It's only like a half a dozen of us or so who ever run on them. So it's usually just wide open for us out there. And we don't have a lot of traffic, do we? No, it's nice. Yeah, it's a real secluded spot. And um, we, as you know, yeah, everybody, um, we, we love the dog mushers out here. So it's a good, good spot. And thanks. Thanks so much for um, shedding a light on, on dog mushing with your, your radio. We really appreciate it. And we love listening to you. Very good. Well, thank you. On behalf of, of my guest tonight, Matt Failer, this is Robert for Mushing Radio. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye. From Dog Works Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.